1: I will call upon you to do a service
0: for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante, along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, we are back on the air after power failure put us out last week t frank little advice for you and our listeners you do not want to go through a
0: power outage okay <laughs> yeah yeah i've been looking into backup power and i have had zero problems with that but the idea of it you know as, as more of us are working from home it's something i think we had like not everyone considers but it i can't imagine in the middle of the winter i'm glad you you made it through all of that stuff Well, the
1: sad part is, I I live new. It was new construction when I moved in, a Mm -hmm. little over twenty years ago. I've never had a major power outage. Nothing more than like five minutes, Mm -hmm. let alone a couple days. To add insult to injury, the first day I stuck it out here, going to bed that night, it's like okay, let me just get to sleep. My neighbor across the street, he has a generator. Do you know how much noise they make?
0: Yes, I am aware of that. That is, oof. That does not (laughs) sound fun. No, no, it was not.
1: But we are back. We are back on the air, thank goodness. We are back with T. Frank, even better. Lots to talk about. T. Frank, let's start with the new commit. Owen, we've decided we're going to call him Alicini how we're going to pronounce the last name, Mm -hmm. an offensive tackle, six foot seven, 270 pounds out of Connecticut. First of all, I like the height, that six, seven for these tackles. That seems to be coming the norm. What could you tell us about Owen? Uh,
0: That's really where you start is the size and the length. Another, uh, you know, I always thought six, six is where you want to go with a tackle. I always thought that was like the perfect height, but they're getting guys that are 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, like some of these guys that when they hit the high side of variance in terms of actually all of their physical and mental tools all work out together, these could be monster offensive linemen that have all the tools you're looking for from a length perspective, pass protection. Um, there is a little bit of a downside in run blocking for some of these guys. Um, but at the same time, in the past when Penn State has tried to find tall offensive lineman they had to make some compromises about athletic abilities at the position none of the guys we're talking about going back to Garrett Sexton uh Egan Boyer a little stiff but not even to the point where I would say it's really a problem Owen Alicini falls into that group as well of a guy that has the physical ability to move and also is massive so uh upside you know a three star by all of the all of the different um uh, recruiting services. I think a I think underrated for sure. Not even rated by some of them. So Penn State is getting, I guess you could say, a project tackle and under the radar player. But just in general, another player from the New England area that they've identified as a uh, an elite. I would say pretty close to elite physical prospect that is under the radar for a lot of schools, and they got in early. And here he is committed early in this process. So Phil Troutwine on that side too, doing work again. It's not Cooper Cousins uh, after his, I think, his 10th grade season committed, but this is another early tackle early on in the process committing to the Nittany Lions and to Phil Troutwine. So I think it's a big win. I think he's a quality player and uh, and just another one of these pure tackles that they had not gotten for like eight years under James Franklin. Now they're on a run of them.
1: I like the idea that it is a pure tackle, that that's what he's going to be trained for. That's where he's headed. That's what he could do, and also the fact. And I'm going to speak a little bit out of both sides of my mouth this way. At six seven two seventy, that two seventy weight seems pretty good for a high school player. Yet at six foot seven, it seems like that's probably a body that could put on quite a bit more weight.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is, and that's the idea: is that you don't want any of these guys showing up. I, I say this, and Cooper Cousins is six six three twenty uh, on on the official <laughs> roster. So there are unicorns out there, but you shouldn't judge everyone by that standard. Most of the tackles that they they want to bring in are going to be in that two seventy range, um, and are going to be uh, the potential to grow into those guys we just de- described not all of them will that's the point of getting multiple players at a position that have similar skill sets including you know i don't want to go too far off on the tangent here but quarterback like you're getting as many of these guys with talents in the room as possible to create the competition and create the opportunity for one of these guys to then explode like uh you, you had in olu with a guy that became very very good with all of the traits so, uh, 270 is actually pretty good again, not to continually go back and, and compare to this last class, but Egan Boyer shows up at 6'8, 250. So six, seven and a half 275 I think is where he is right now. Alicini has another year of growth. You know, he's got a full off season this summer, this winter, next fall, and then, uh, Ryan Snyder, our uh, recruiting insider, Blue White Illustrated, said he's going to be an early enrollee, another great sign. But he's got another year of growth before he gets to Penn State. So he might not even be that far off if he continues to put on good weight. This is a guy who could be 290, you know, maybe show up around 300 pounds. And that's that's good. Um, You want to see some of the things on film that go with that size, uh, and we don't quite see that yet with his run blocking, but this is also a guy who's very young to football, hasn't been playing football a very long time, so there's a little bit of pluses and minuses in his profile from that perspective, but all the tools are there for him to be a uh, you know, complete offensive lineman that can block and can pass protect.
1: Well, that's another issue. You brought up the fact that he's fairly new to the game, that, which probably makes him raw, but creates a better upside. Did I read correctly that he was a hockey player
0: prior to
1: playing football?
0: Yeah, and if you want to get the full thing again, Ryan Snyder wrote about that over at blueweightillustrated.com talking to his high school coach. He played hockey uh, and didn't take football seriously until a couple of years later. So he's only been playing football for two years. Um, And given that, you know, watching his film, I think he's incredibly well coached. So you have that diversity of background which you love in sports. So hockey is a lot about foot quickness and it's a lot about agility and being able, I don't know anything about hockey, just watching them move. They have to be good at certain things that are, I think complementary but contradictory to an offensive lineman. It's not about as being as big and as heavy and as strong as it is as about functional movement in, in three directions, right in all of these different directions. So, I love, and you see that in his film. He's got great hip quickness for a guy who's 6'7". He's got great mobility. He might not be as explosive as some of these guys you've seen from Penn State that are these kind of rare breed offensive linemen that are big and strong and explosive and move really well and are fast. But he's in that category of guys that have the physical tools and and having very few blemishes on his resume. And also, you know, this cross uh, training that he's gotten gives him I think, a a unique physical ability with his lower half to control and move. It's just about getting him more confident to execute those assignments and to use those tools on a regular basis. But what I like watching the film is that he is being well coached and you see those basic fundamentals. And the reason he's not overly aggressive right now is because he's clearly thinking about them. So the process is correct. A lot of what you see with him, the process is correct. And he's not a guy coming from an offensive line that doesn't pass protect, so he's got a diverse background of skill set from uh high school already, giving him a good baseline. All we're looking at here are baselines of these things to see is he coachable, does he have the ability to do these things, and where is he on that journey? Not expecting him to be a guy that plays early or is like polished coming into school, but what are you working with? And I think you're working with a lot of really underrated positive attributes with Owen Alessany. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, if I
1: were on the hockey ice and six foot seven, 270 pounds was skating at me, T Frank, I'm getting out of the way. That's that's all I'm going to say about that sport. Let's talk a little bit more about, he's from Connecticut Mm -hmm. and what kind of competition has he dealt with in high school up there?
0: Yeah, that's the problem. Um, so it's a bit of a, you know, I don't know if it's a fully truncated season. They start later than everybody else. Um, and they have the, the the pool of competition, while it produces some guys like Andrew Rappelier um, and some of the guys that Penn State has gotten recently, Pat, Pat Friermuth, um, Luke, Luke Reynolds. Reynolds. There's been uh, Elijah Newby is a guy that's going to USC who's in... Excellent linebacker. that Penn State wanted to get out of the area, so there are schools and there are teams that have a certain level of athletic greatness. But overall, it's not it's not the Philadelphia League. It's not uh, some of the other places where Penn State is going to find these guys that have you know really good competition with multiple D one schools. Maybe not even Ohio. So it, I think the select highs are high. But overall, there isn't anybody that you watch on film that's really challenging him. That's the important part. Uh, The the unfortunate part is they did play a a bowl game against Luke Reynolds' team, which has a lot. You know, Cheshire Academy has a lot of really good football players that are going to the D1 level and the the Power power 4 level, I think we have to officially say now. Um, But uh, that video was not available on the Internet. I couldn't find that particular game to see how we did against those players. Um, but he dominated everybody else that uh, you saw. And like I said, the process of how he did it was the correct way. So he's not out there just leaning on guys and mauling and throwing people with bad technique. He's doing it the right way, getting wins the way you want to see. I, I, at least that's how I viewed his tape.
1: You mentioned earlier a couple of the tackles that Penn State has brought in the last couple of years. Could you give me a little bit of the comparison Alicini to the last couple of tackles they brought in is he Mm -hmm. fitting the specific mold that seems like uh Troutwine is bringing in now at the tackle position
0: yeah so I guess you got to start with what are the traits of the position you're looking for uh length is I don't want to say the number one thing Functional movement, we talked about mobility, athleticism, that's the number one thing. And then from there, probably you'd go with length. So height is not even always the number one determining factor, although you do like to have long leg tackles that can kick out and pass protection and eat up ground quickly without having to stress. So that athleticism with that length uh, of the overall frame at six 6'7", that gives you a lot of what you're looking for from a pass protection standpoint. Uh, but these guys also need to have long arms to engage with defensive ends. You know, freakazoids like Chop Robinson and Deni Dennis Sutton, they're big, fast, physical, and they have 33-inch arms. So you can't have guys that have short arms. And when you're 6'7", unless you are uh, an outlier on the wrong side of things, you probably have that length you're looking for. So I wouldn't say any of these guys are uh, overly extremely long. I'd say Garrett Sexton is the one that kind of looks like a unicorn with super long arms for his frame. Um, But they have the required length and size. And then that movement skill, you expect them to build their body up to a certain level. And that's when you look at, again, like, uh, you know, how how big is their frame? How wide are their hips and shoulders? And, you know, not being able to, to see these guys up close, like doing a little film scouting, there's some things that you can't 100% see. But you can tell when a guy is thin. You know, you can tell when a guy has a narrow frame. And I don't see that from any of these guys. So, like, if you're asking me to power rank them, I, I don't. I, I, it's pretty early for that. I made it pretty clear Garrett Sexton is one of my favorite players I've scouted in a long time, but I think all these guys fall into a category around that where they have the potential to develop into very positive starting tackles for Penn State.
1: Very good T. Frank. Thank you for the update on Penn State's latest recruit on the offensive line. Another exciting prospect for for Troutwine to work with. That's it for quarter number one. We've got lots more to go. Stick with us. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number two. He is T Frank Carr. I'm Jim Galante. We are talking Penn State football. T Frank, I want to start with this. Um, you are not only great on the video portion, you do some great writing over there at BWI. Thank you. I, I really I love the articles that you put out there. But what happens then is it makes me want to talk to you about
0: them. So, so that's there's more. There's more of them this time of year. I'll tell you that. Like, there's more time for me to write in January than there is in October when it's like we're producing 15 videos a week if you count all the side things that we do and the live <laughs> press conferences I got to go to. So I, I like. I do like writing. I feel a little rusty, so I appreciate you saying that. Uh, that you know they, they still don't suck. And as long as I'm at don't suck on all the things I do, I'm I'm pretty happy about that.
1: That is high praise. They don't <laughs> suck. Uh, and I like the videos, but sometimes it's just fun to sit down and read the articles. I, yeah. We're actually going to hit on a couple of articles that you put out in the last week. One of them that I, I thought was interesting, and you classified this as Penn State slot defense. Yeah, And as soon as you say slot defense, my mind immediately goes, Daquan Hardy. Okay. Yep. He's slot defender you know i'm a big fan of daquan hardy's but you brought up also the other part to this is daquan hardy is not out there every single down especially on the early downs and it's somebody else who has had that responsibility and that's a linebacker tell me about curtis jacobs and what he did on that role the last couple years
0: really since 2020 when he got some uh game reps he has been the team's primary slot defender and and slot is not necessarily slot is how we're categorizing it that's the thing is like it's not necessarily just slot defense it's playing the field the long side of a college football field where there's more green grass to cover and you got to make some decisions about how you're going to cover that area and that's really like that's what we're talking about here Jake one hardy in the slot is one thing um, but that's more specific to matchups lineups and how the the defense is trying to play an offense but Curtis Jacobs has the problem of on early downs when you know it's not third and long or third and we're bringing on our nickel corner you've got to contend with is it a run is it a pass do I fill my run gap or do I have to play uh, a various Cacophony of things that the offense can do into that field, whether it's a bubble screen, whether it's just a straight up pass pattern, or if it's an RPO, all of these things go into what I think makes this particular position, one of the hardest to play. And because it's it's super interesting, I focus a lot on this because it is a, it is a part of the defense that I think is, is soft. It's squishy. It's malleable. Your Mike linebacker, your Will linebacker, your outside corners, these are kind of your tent pole foundational positions that you have starters, they're on the field almost all the time. But how you deal with this, I think, is the flavor of different defenses. And for the last three seasons, under two different defensive coordinators, Curtis Jacobs has been the guy out in uh, out in the flat. Now, that is also considering the fact that he played Will linebacker to start 2022, and uh, the way everything worked out, he ended up back over there. so there have been a bunch of different iterations uh, over the last three seasons, but these are the guys that took those snaps and to me um, stabilized the defense a little bit. So I understand that there are more important positions to stability in the defense, but when you have those figured out and those are you know mostly intact, then this becomes my focus of okay. How are we dialing everything in? And Curtis Jacobs especially, and and Daquan Hardy, not to cut him out of the conversation, but you're right. Like, we focus on him primarily when we talk about this. Curtis Jacobs has kind of been doing this work in the shadows that you don't notice for three seasons, and now they're going to find somebody else to do it. And then mentioning Daquan Hardy, uh, I imagine –
1: He was as good at it in the 23 season as anybody else could have been. Now, I don't see every slot defender in the country, but watching Hardy and even in your article, you mentioned in 22, he had a little bit of a shaky start to the season before settling in this past season. It seemed to me like teams, the outside cornerbacks were so good. Somebody saw the size of Daquan Hardy and said, hey, we probably have a bit of a mismatch there. They seem to constantly test them and come up short when they were trying to test Daquan Hardy.
0: So it's, it's there's a couple of different things that go into this. Uh, it's not just uh, the outside corners. It's also the pressure. So outside routes can, and this is kind of a general generalization, For those receivers, they can take a little bit longer. Now, you can run any route from the outside for the most part. So you can run a slant. You can run some quick stuff. But if you're talking about when Daquan Hardy's on the field, you probably need six, seven, eight yards. So uh, you also have the timing factor of Chop Robinson is going to beat whatever right tackle he goes up against. So you've got to get the ball out quickly easier to get the ball out quickly over the middle of the defense, which Penn state kind of voids at times because they're putting linebackers either in the a gap or they're blitzing them. So it's not just the, the uh, personnel. It's also the scheme that allows for the slot to be a little more effective here. And uh, what I came up and this is, this is just for this past season. The problem is like, he played more snaps on the outside in the bowl game, trying to come up with, uh, he allowed a passer rating, under 100 through the regular season and then for the last two games it was over 100 including 156.3 but for his career in the slot he allowed a passer rating of 50 meaning you're you're denying the ball you're getting pass breakups and interceptions so again it, taking away uh, the the kind of rough start in Manny Diaz's defense in 2022 he has been one of the most lockdown corners in the Big 10 uh, over, over that time, while also having the most snaps, so that's a that's a potent concoction. So when we say, when I say, and other you know, I think people that follow Penn State football saying this is an NFL defensive back, the proof is there, the data is there, the the film is there that he has been an elite slot defender during his time at Penn State, and and that is a again a huge stabilizing force that you have to replace on third down, and you know replacing the outside corners is one thing. And again, primary 10-pole positions, you need to have those guys locking down um, the top receiver for anything to matter. But then Daquan Hardy playing so well, that's a huge part of this too.
1: And now, as you pointed out, Curtis Jacobs, Daquan Hardy, they've been around for a few years now. Mm-hmm. Let's fast forward to the 2024 season with them both gone. Let's talk first about Curtis Jacobs and perhaps the linebacker in early downs. Mm-hmm. Who do they have? How are they going to replace Curtis Jacobs there?
0: So this is interesting. There's um, I have some questions that need I need to have some visual answers to during spring football. And that is how are they handling this position? Um, Manny Diaz came in with a system that used either a safety or a slot corner uh, as the base defense. And we had a conversation of who's that going to be. They've moved Jonathan Sutherland to that position. So that was the plan. That was the plan to start. And then they played three linebackers because, you know, Abdul Carter showed up. Curtis Jacobs is too good at that position playing out in the flat. So they ended up playing three linebackers this past season and kind of the last three years in general, Tom Allen has been going to more of a hybrid front where primarily there are four down front and they have a third safety or a slot corner or a slot safety on the field, but against some of the better teams that want to play with two tight ends, they actually had a, a player that's 255 pounds playing Sam linebacker. So kind of a D end, Hybrid, so they can use some blitzing and some zone dropping. And so who is the body type that they want to use at Penn State? This is kind of just my general rule of thumb. Until they actually change it, I'm not going to assume they're going to change it. So uh, I'm going to assume this is going to be a linebacker. But I don't know for certain if it's going to be a hybrid defensive end, if they want to continue that particular sub package in Tom Allen's defense, or if they're going to adapt to the personnel that they have. This is a roundabout way of saying that the 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 leader in the clubhouse is Tony Rojas, unsurprisingly, and and that uh, fits a lot of different things that we're talking about when it, with a D end hybrid, former defensive end showed he has a knack for blitzing, aggressive, physical, uh, shoots gaps well, and just needs some seasoning to learn and experience and and you know and then he'll need to be comfortable in this defense, but has the physical skills to play that Sam position. He was so good last year that they, they bumped him up to backup Will Linebacker to get him uh, that experience for the future. So how it all works as a review is Sam, Penn State doesn't necessarily recruit Sam linebackers. They recruit guys that can play Will. And the most athletic ones play Sam before they transition over. So that's going to be the question is, did uh, Tony skip that step? Or is he going to be on the field as the Sam linebacker this upcoming season? And then from there, who are the other positions that are a part of this conversation? Dom DeLuca is going to play. He's going to be a constant there. But then um, do they move a safety down to get that player in uh, the defense as well? Is there a guy that has some cornerback skills that you can play in that position as well? So that's that this that's the whole point of this slot defense, this 11th defender. Penn State's been splitting the duties the last two year, the last three years between Hardy and Jacobs. Now there's an opening and there's an opportunity for a refresh, a reboot with a new defense coordinator. How do they want to handle it? And Penn State likes to play players. You've mentioned this, like they've got 20 starters or 15 starters. This is an area where you can get another player involved in the defense. So until we see something different, I'm assuming that they're going to split these duties again and there's going to be a slot, a nickel defender, and then the base defense will have a linebacker type body type. But there is the future possibility of there being a safety. And that's where spring ball need to know what Tom Allen is thinking about what he wants to bring and what he wants to keep as far as the architecture of the defense for the last couple of years.
1: I would think a position like this, it's that opportunity to get your best players on the field. And Tony Rojas seems to be one of the 11 best players on defense and a guy that you would want to get out there. Let's talk then about that third down situation that Daquan Hardy typically filled. Yep. And again, I imagine this is one that it could be a cornerback or it could be a safety. Who are the players that are candidates to uh, replace what Daquan Hardy's done the last couple of years?
0: Uh, There's a lot. And that's really the point of we don't, I don't, I don't have a good sense of what some of these young cornerbacks can do just yet. So we haven't seen a ton of Zion Tracy. We've seen him in some mop-up duty. We saw him in the bowl game. I actually think his play was a little more positive than some Penn State fans because of all the yardage allowed. Some of the things he was doing from a recognition standpoint, he was triggering downhill. He was doing good things from a mental perspective. But those receivers were really good, and he is still young. So what is Zion Tracy able to do from a, from a traits standpoint, I can see him having slot corner ability. He's electric. Uh, you know, just in the brief moments I've seen him really good movement skills. Um, a couple of years ago, John Reed played outside corner and in the slot. So that exists where they might do that. So you might see a corner and then they've got four safeties. So do you want to play a safety there as well? That's a part of the conversation when you've got King Mac, you've got, Uh, KJ Winston and Jalen Reed, all that have those abilities. So it's wide open right now. And I don't think there's a particular leader um, until we see spring football.
1: But there are a lot of possibilities, a lot of options there. And again, I suspect we're going to see more than 11 starters, maybe not quite 20 or so, which I felt like they were doing last year. But there's going to be a lot of people that you could consider starters on this defense. All right, that's it for quarter number two. When we come back, it's quarter three, and it's Ask T. Frank. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. That means it's time to ask T. Frank. We'll take your questions for T. Frank. If you want to send a question in to T. Frank, it's really easy. Just download our app, Keystone Sports. You'll see the button there where we have, you could ask T. Frank or ask Andy, and even if you're not going to send in a question, download the app. It gives you access to the rest of the Keystone uh, Sports Network stuff. And those of you who only listen to this show on our app or on our website, I suggest you subscribe to T. Frank's YouTube channel. Hey. Fantastic stuff out there. Not just us, T. Frank, or yeah. me with you. You do stuff multiple times a week. and It's fantastic stuff, T-Frank.
0: Yeah, well thank you very much uh, and I appreciate the opportunity uh, if you want to subscribe blue White you can use the promo code PSU one which is a YouTube exclusive thing you only get this here by the way hi everybody we always we, we do live shows every Tuesday and Thursday and this one is obviously recorded for for the radio so it's not a live show and I'm I'm always in the chat saying hi to people and talking but I never I, I always feel bad because in the back of my mind I'm like people are used to talking and they're used to interacting so I just this is a this is a rare window for me to say hey to everybody in the chat appreciate you be in here every day during these live reairs, airs uh, and for anyone who hasn't that wants to subscribe to Blue White Illustrated you can use that YouTube promo code PSU1 to get two months for a dollar so you can get some of these uh, articles that we're talking about here on the show today
1: yeah I, I, I suggest you do it it's like fantastic stuff I, I'm a Penn State football addict I don't want to take the spring and summer off it's it's year-round T Frank so and you oh, guys yeah. provide so much great information I absolutely love it. I could not be a bigger advocate of your stuff. All right, let's move on to our questions. Let's start with Lee and Mount Lebanon. First of all, hey, Lee, I haven't heard from you for a while. Great to hear from you. Lee says, hey, T. Frank and Jim. T. Frank, you did a film report on Anthony Duncan after he committed as a three-star lineman. At that time, you felt he was the top tackle prospect in the class. And he was immediately placed inside upon his arrival to Penn state with his limited playing time at guard during the season in 23 and the limited time at tackle in the peach bowl. Do you still see him as a top tackle prospect at Penn state? And do you think his pass blocking has significantly improved since high school?
0: So I'm a little thrown off. (laughs) I don't remember saying that, um, so this is, and this, is the, this is the truth. Oh, go ahead. Wait, what's I, up? I
1: was going to say, I thought you were pr- pretty high, though, on Anthony Donka, more so than perhaps his star rating, and perhaps yeah. that's what yeah. he was thinking of. So phys- physically,
0: the physical traits are there, and that was really the point, is he's super long. So he's 6'5", but he's got longer arms than some of these 6'7 tackles. So that's really what we're talking about in terms of his, uh, his potential to play tackle. But watching his film, and this is the point I want to make, and this is the point I've made uh, since, and I, this is me trying to be journalistically fair and not being one of these, you know, hot take dudes who's like, I didn't say that. I was concerned about Anthony because he was new to football and he had that I'm new to football sort of thing where he was, he was, this is always my worst fear is do you remember bud dupree played football uh at i think kentucky played for the steelers he was the best fan of football i've ever seen because he would run right up to the football and then watch football like the rest of us he wouldn't make a play he would just run to the football and he wouldn't know how to make a play um i saw a lot of that with anthony of he was watching everybody else run by him and at six seven at a certain point just block somebody like he's not making mistakes but he's also not making plays so i had some concerns about what what are his football instincts? And again, he was at a new school that literally the football program was new and he was new to football. He got into the Penn state program and blew up. So like he was a guard to me. He was hard, like guard. He's a project. He's going to take a couple of years to work and kind of like Tony Rojas in the background more so than Tony, he was developing and working and getting so much better. It's not just me like talking to, uh, you know, our, our reporters, Their sources were saying the coaching staff was surprised at his level of development, his level of progress. And it got to the point where he was the guard in this conversation between Birchmeyer, who got the first opportunity at tackle. He redshirted, moved inside. Uh, Javen Williams was always a tackle for them uh, to start. He was getting work on the left and the right side. And then suddenly in the bowl game, after almost a full year of work, it's Donko not either of those guys that's showing up as the tackle. So the traits were always there, but the football instincts and the, I guess the progression of what I saw from him, his junior to senior season, I didn't see massive progress junior to senior season in high school. And then suddenly he takes to Phil Troutwine's coaching and all of this stuff starts to click. So this is another, I, I, you know, he hasn't done anything yet. And there were some, there were, some, uh, there were some things in the bowl game that didn't show up that I think are a problem. Passing off and understanding stunts and how to do those things. Uh, he He ended up on his butt once or twice in pass protection. So that's not good. But at the same time, from a run blocking perspective, he dominated those guys on the line of scrimmage. And there's no way around that. So there's some good stuff there from him. Um, I'm not ready to say that there's been massive improvement uh, into like starting caliber, but from where he was, yes, massive improvement as a pass protector to the point he played right tackle. That should tell you a massive amount of what Penn State thinks of him, that he was the first freshman in and not Javen, who had been working, uh, you know, at that position for uh, visibly publicly during practice for most of the time he was here. So yes, great progress from Anthony from where he started to where he is. There's still, I would imagine that much more to go for him to take that right tackle spot this next year. And I think the point you make that he was the one
1: selected among the young players to get that job uh, for the peach bowl. Let's go to Mark in Annapolis who says, Hey T Frank, with the two new additions through the portal, what is your confidence level with the cornerbacks for this season?
0: That's a great question. Um, confidence level, there's so many unknowns. That's the, that's the I guess the thing is I don't, I don't have a level of confidence or concern. Cam Miller played well. I liked what I saw from Zion Tracy. I have some concerns about Jalen Kimber, you know, a good athlete that I think lacks some physicality and some, some uh, aggression to get to the football. But at the same time, he's a good cover corner like there are he was a solid starter for Florida. So if you're bringing in a solid starter, you have a solid starter like there's no way around like I can't it's just, you know, I graded all of the you know, I did like a fun episode on the show where I graded the the recruiting class for the portal for the winter. And I gave this an A, I think I gave it an A minus at corner because they got A.J. Harris, a starter for the future, a guy that has the talent to compete in the room and keep the talent level the same, and then Kimber, a guy who can come in and play more immediately. So it's not, they didn't get an A plus, they didn't get a superstar, they didn't pay for a corner to come in and be a lockdown player in the in the portal, uh, out of the portal. But outside of that, they did everything that they were supposed to do. I would be reasonably, I would be reasonably confident that they're going to field a good cornerback unit. Uh, this coming year, is it going to be as good as the one we just saw? I don't think so, but it can be in that ballpark. Again, you're just trying to get acceptable ranges of outcomes. You're not always trying to just like ev- not everything has to be elite and take that next step and always be better. It has to some sometimes just staying the same is good. And I think that they can do that in this particular group, even if it's slightly behind. They have the ability to play themselves into a better position later in the year with some of these guys getting experience.
1: And you got to remember, as we mentioned earlier, with DaQuan Hardy being an NFL player, you have three cornerbacks who are now going to be playing on Sundays. Yep. That yep. left that room. That that's a lot of talent to lose. But speaking of talent, and uh, going to the portal, Fred from Doylestown says, "I see Ohio State putting together an all-star team through the portal. Yep. Is this the future of college football?" get an alumni base with deep pockets who are upset with the previous year's results and then go buy a championship.
0: They all have to work out. That's the one thing I'd say you are getting talent for sure. Like I'm not going to doubt that. But uh, as somebody, I forget who said this recently, like there is the team building aspect because you can put together an all star team. And if players aren't willing to play within the structure of I'm, not everyone can be the star in football. Somebody has to do the dirty work to set somebody else up. Uh, and this is just me as a general blanket statement. I wouldn't say that this is the future of college football. This is the immediate future until they change the NIL structure, give a more level playing field. But yeah, you can go into the portal and buy players. And that for the time being is the, it's the reality. It's the present. I don't know that it's the future because this is a bit unsustainable. Um, You know, even Ohio State can't sustain this forever. I I would, I would have a hard time unless all of their former NFL players, all their former millionaires, are the guys donating to the program, and not necessarily donors or you know the regular folk chipping in their money. Like this is just, I do think this model is unsustainable, as James Franklin said. So, not the future future, but it is the present. It is what's going on right now.
1: Uh, T. Frank, I've often made the comparison to professional sports, free agency, and baseball, for example. Mm-hmm. And in baseball, they have the, the off-season winners. And very seldom does it seem like the off-season winners then win during the season. And in college football, I think we've already had some of those examples, like with Texas A&M. Remember mm-hmm. them throwing all the money at the— at uh, you know, uh, through the portal and just overall with NIL. It hasn't worked for Texas A&M, and there's some other examples. So we haven't yet seen it proven that just throwing money at the problem is what's going to buy you a championship. Let's go to Cooper in Sarah who says, what position would you like to see Penn State shore up in the next cycle of the portal beyond wide receiver?
0: Uh, probably more offensive line um maybe some interior guys i i don't know that it's going to work for what penn state needs and this is i'll explain the problem there's not a clear succession plan at center so somebody's going to be playing there i know that everyone uh that i that uh, the first name that a lot of people go to is um uh help me out here nick dawkins nick dawkins is the first guy that people go to there's a path for him to get better this off season and have a bit of a Devon Ellie's sort of glow up as a football player progress that way, but he's got to play much better than he did in the limited time. We saw him this past season. I don't know. Athletically, that feels like that might be a dangerous thing for Penn state to do. And then outside of that, you're moving a starter. Uh, JB Nelson. He's a guy that has tackle versatility. Penn state needs that right tackle position short up. So the guy that I've targeted is Vega. You you know, 350 pound center. That that can work that can absolutely work. But I also think that they might want another interior player to go along with these guys so that you're not, again, not putting a red shirt freshman, like uh, Alex Birchmeyer in a position where he has to contribute this next season. Or again, Javen Williams, if he moves in from tackle to that interior, I think another interior player to shore up one of the guard positions from a veteran depth perspective would be good. And then outside of that, uh, that's really it, you know, defensive tackle, defensive end, all these positions are pretty well secured outside of the ones you mentioned. We can't say receiver in this in this situation. So I'd go interior offensive line.
1: And as I keep pointing out in our last several shows T. Frank, they've got about 98 or 99 guys on scholarship. Yeah. They already have to thin the herd to get it down to 85. All right. That went fast. That is it for us. T Frank, stick around. We got more to go in quarter four. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He's T Frank. I'm Jim. We're talking Penn State football. T Frank, been a good show. I've stolen some topics from articles that you've written. I'm going to do that again. Let's plagiarize. Uh, you put out an article in the past week, and you called it "Critical Player Development," and you know, it, and it, to tie it into one of the questions for the uh, that we had in the Ask T Frank, which was building the team a bit through the portal bringing guys in Mm -hmm. there's also this it's the old-fashioned player development it's saying okay we bring guys in they may not come in as freshmen get right on the field be superstars right away it's about getting those players that you have in the program and can you develop them into the next one the next guy and there are players, especially, let's start at defensive end, because mm-hmm. there's a situation where you had, I mentioned cornerback sending three guys to the NFL. At defensive end, there's two guys, uh, Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson, who are both moving on. One of them, Chop Robinson, uh, very likely could be a first-round draft pick.
0: Should be, yeah.
1: That, yes, I, I again, I can't compare guys to other teams, I don't see enough college football, see everybody mm-hmm. else, but watching Chop Robinson game to game and especially paying attention to him when it's not a case where, boy, the camera is focused on him, you know, he made a play.
0: Mm-hmm. It
1: seems like he beats his man on almost every single play if you focus on him.
0: And that's really what Penn State needs uh, for this next year. So the answer, and to to kind of set up what I did here, First off, the, some things just stick in your head, right, Jim? So some things that people say just kind of stick in there. And James Franklin mentioned multiple times this offseason leading up to the bowl game, they are not a transfer portal team. They are a uh, recruit and develop team. And, you know, like I get what he's saying, and I get the subtle context of that. But I also think that given the opportunity, if you could solve your problem with a veteran from the portal uh, and and get the best player you possibly could, they would do that too. Like, this is a reality more so than a preference. And I think that generally you'd still prefer to get elite talent and develop them. So who are the guys that have to develop this season for Penn State? But, and so I pick, the answer is all of them. But I picked one from the positions that made the most sense. And that's really the setup here is, it's actually not Jameel Lyons who is in the article. Like, deny Dennis Sutton has to take that star turn. That is the development that has to happen this offseason. But I wanted to pick out guys that were non-starters so that it wasn't just me writing about, hey, here's a bunch of obvious things you already knew. Um, but the idea here is developing the next wave on the defensive line. Jameel Lyons has that star talent. He's super long. He's fluid. He's not Yitor Gross Matos in terms of overall size, but I think from a length and movement skill set, an okay comparison, not perfect, because I think he's a little bit more explosive. Yitor wasn't necessarily the most dynamic of edge rushers in the world. Lions has, I guess, the ability to be one of those power guys that has enough speed that is is balanced and dangerous. Um, So developing the next guy because denied Dennis Sutton is the guy now, and you've got some veterans that can fill in alongside of him to play, uh, the balancing out role. But if Penn wants to continue this March of elite defensive ends, they've got to have, they got to reload before they have to reload. So Jameel Lyons has to take a step to be in where denied Dennis Sutton was, which is contributing this next year. Uh, and then I just want to throw this one in for a bonus because it doesn't matter this year, but just the idea that Caleb Artis uh, is on the roster I just wanted to point him out as a guy that's been developing in the background. They bring back all their defensive tackles, but he's a guy that has a lot of talent. So, if you were looking for a defensive tackle that isn't Zane Durant, that's the guy I would be thinking about right now, who didn't play at defensive tackle, but could contribute. But there's such a logjam up front. Like they're bringing back, they're too deep. There's not a whole lot of room at the end, which is why he didn't make the article.
1: Well, you know, you mentioned what James Franklin says that they're a development team, not yeah. a portal team. And that that comes off as an absolute when the reality is, you know, Penn State it's it's there's degrees on the spectrum, okay? There's shades right. of gray. Yes. And
0: Penn And State that's his ha- point, right? So that, that yes. that's an entirely fair point to make. Like that's absolutely a reasonable place to land. It's just funny because, you know, we live on the internet here for our jobs and the internet has zero nuance. So, even, like, maybe I've just absorbed too much of the, the World Wide Web, but there was a part of me that's like, yeah, but, and, like, that's the obnoxious part that nobody needs. Like, nobody needs that.
1: Right. You know, it's like, well, what do you mean You when you bring in Arnold e. Bikini and, you know, these other, you brought up the in the cornerbacks, yeah. you brought in Julian Fleming. But they are just plugging some holes by doing that yep and i think they've done a good job but the other part of that whole equation though while we're talking about it t frank is they are maintaining their team a lot better than the vast majority of teams they are not losing guys through the portal and you mentioned defensive tackle which is a case of not only not losing guys through the portal they're not losing guys to graduation. Guys are choosing to take that extra year and stick around. That's why they have 99 guys on scholarship and yeah. somehow are going to need to, uh, you know, parse it down to 85. But if you're going to be a development team, you still need to have those players who come into the system and in their second, third year. And I like the way you put it. Deny Dennis Sutton is the president. He's the guy who's shown enough. To be that guy. But Jamel Lyons. So my question to you on Lyons is. Where does he fit this year in the rotation? Because as you pointed (laughs) out. There's some other veteran guys. Who are still part of that rotation.
0: Yeah. He's got to jump some guys. And I think that's going to be. Kind of the conversation about. Where he fits into the lineup. So. uh, Deny his freshman season. Was in that. 3-4 Three four role where he was the third fourth defensive end got some time in some non critical situations but in first and second halves his freshman season then he became kind of jumped uh, I mean Vanover in the roster to be the number three defensive end I don't think Jameel Lyons is on the same path where he played as a freshman because he didn't have to but he he could have like James Franklin insinuated some of the players that were freshmen could have contributed if they were needed. So is he going to jump a Zariah Fisher in the order to be the number three guy? Is he going to be a part of that four D and when he is, what is his impact? So I guess I would say he starts as maybe the fourth defensive end, but he's got to eat into the shares of those other guys because he's so talented and he's making those plays and not that he has to be the starter next year, but he has to be, we have to know what he is going into 2025.
1: Let's talk about a couple other guys that you talked about. And at linebacker, Curtis Jacobs is the one guy moving on. Tony Rojas seems to be that logical next guy at linebacker. We were excited when he came in as a true freshman. We got even more excited when we were told, well, his only issue is size. And he put on 25, 30 pounds, which we were told was good weight. And we mm-hmm. saw flashes of it last year, T. Frank. Wh- what's the next logical step for Tony Rojas?
0: So he would be the guy first in line to replace Jacobs as that we talked about the the slot defender uh, four three, dude, more explosive than Curtis. Uh, he could be it's always hard because you never know. How a player is actually going to play in full reps, but what we saw from him last year as that will linebacker is he's a difference maker. Like he might be the next number eleven. Um, now that the curve he's broken the curve, like we're not grading him as a freshman anymore. So, how much of the defense can he absorb? How much can he understand? And when the puzzle's more complex, like it was in the bowl game for him, and he finally started making some mental mistakes and giving up some explosive plays, we saw the freshman in him. That has, to, that has to be done. Like he now has to be, if we're going to talk about development, he made such a stride his first year, but you can't rest on that. If you're going to be the next dude at Penn State, especially linebacker, you need to make a similar step that you did your freshman season. So for him, uh, I I just, it's mental awareness and it's learning coverages and it's, you know, getting fully integrated into what it means to be a linebacker, which is to know the offense and what they're trying to do to you. So that's really, it's a, it's a mental aspect for Tony Rojas. That's the part that I think is because even at two I'm fine with the way he plays football. He plays from, he plays starting with I'm hard to block and can get to unblockable. Um, So that's really, I don't have a problem with his size. It's more about his mental understanding and using that quick trigger. Once you know more about football, you get to a certain point where you start to think because you see the full picture. So you go, Oh, there's way more than I thought. I was just filling my gap before. Now I'm trying to anticipate when you do that. There tends to be, this is what Abdul I think did last year. Is there tends to be that moment where you're that that's a sophomore slump to me is you understand enough that you're a little bit hesitant and then you've got to go, okay, I've done this enough times. I now know how to apply myself properly. That's the transition he's going to have to make.
1: There are stages in that development, but you have to be pretty happy with what we saw last year as a two, true freshman from Tony Rojas. All right, at, in the defensive backfield, you mentioned Zion Tracy at cornerback. Just quickly, though, I, I imagine there's multiple guys in the defensive backfield that you could have mentioned in this article.
0: Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And just to, I think the most important and what kind of the impetus for this was the offensive side where you've got all these receivers. I picked Amari Evans, but you can pick any of those receivers. Somebody has to step up and deliver. If you're going to be a development program and you've got all of these, you know, when you say lottery ticket as a, as a, it sounds like a derogatory, but what you're saying is these guys have the talent to do it. So who's going to be the guy that steps up? I just picked Amari Evans because he's the guy that has the most exposure, and we saw some of the things from him. We talked about Anthony Donko already, some of the interior guys on the offense. But in the cornerback room, you're right. It could be uh, Elliott Washington. It could be uh, Davian Collins. This is the guy that joined the program that I think we forget about a whole lot. But one of these guys has to step up. The clubhouse leader is Zion Tracy. That's not a secret whatsoever. With Jalen Kimber on the roster, it's less important that he takes that next step But they want three corners. I mean, at the height of the defense under Manny Diaz, they had three corners where you had uh, two guys in uh, Kalen King and Johnny Dixon that basically split that role. And then you had a full-time starter on the other side. So you had three starters. You want to have that depth, that flexibility to play guys maybe in the slot like we talked about. And that means Zion Tracy has to take uh, take a step. Because we've seen... In when thing, when the picture is easy and we're playing in the end of the game and there's a lot more base calls and base coverages, he looked good. In the bowl game, again, we, we kind of parse through some of the subtleties there, but he's got to do it on a regular basis now. And that development, by the way, the whole point is all that development starts right now in the weight room and applying yourself in the film room to learn more about football. In these moments where there is no deadline, where you're not on to the next thing, on to the next opponent, this is where a lot of that development from the mental and physical side happens. So doing it now, this is why, like, the development is in January, February, March, and then you see some of the fruits in uh, the spring. And,
1: T. Frank, you know, I, I emphasize the defensive players here. Got to remember, there are six defensive players who are going to be playing in the NFL that are coming off of this defense that's a lot of places to fill in, a lot of spots to fill in. So this development is going to be a major part of the, the story for uh, Tom Allen in that defense. All right, Fang. unfortunately, that's it for our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show.
0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW report were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.